I speak with a lot of people who have a clinical background. They've done the hard work to be a doctor, a nurse, or an allied health provider. They go through the training, they get all the qualifications, and they've done it. But then they're in the system and they're like, this is it, yeah? Really? Clinicians by nature see problems firsthand with the system for themselves, but also for their patients who try and navigate this complexity of healthcare. Some clinicians look at those problems and go, well, that's not my issue. Other clinicians want to make a more meaningful impact. But those clinicians who want to do a bit more, they have this internal struggle where they're like, if I go out and do something else, I'm supposed to be a clinician. I did all that training. I don't want it to go to waste. What will my parents think or my family? How will I make money? What on earth do I do? That internal dialogue is really hard to deal with and it's exhausting. But one good thing is you don't have to do it alone. There are other people in a similar situation just like you. Well, with me today in this episode, I speak to three individuals who are participating in OSEP, the Australian Clinical Entrepreneurs Program. I'm joined by Roy Marathis, Santosh Kaur, and Kevin Wernley. And in this episode, we talk about what you do when you're supposed to be a clinician and you want to have a more meaningful impact. We hear about these three participants' journey and the problem they're trying to solve and how they've got to where they are right now. They share their own experiences and advice for others in a similar situation and we reflect on some of the learnings that they've taken from the OSSET program. Here we go, collaboration starts with the conversation team, Health Tech. Let's make it happen. This is Talking Health Tech with me, Peter Birch, featuring content and community about technology in healthcare. Between now and the end of June, we're conducting the 2024 Talking Health Tech audience survey. This helps us prioritize content, hone in key messages, and refine the show to make it even better. We also want to understand who the biggest cohorts of our audience are. So I'd love for you to take five or 10 minutes to have your say and complete the survey. Everyone who completes it goes in the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of THT Plus membership credits to put towards a membership for yourself as an individual or to help get the word out about your company. The link to complete the survey is in the show notes of this episode or just go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey. Sandosh, Roy, Kevin, how are you? Very well, thanks. Yeah, doing excellent. Good. Very good, thank you. Using the powers of the internet to bring clinicians from different parts of the country together for this conversation today. I appreciate you making the time and I'm keen to learn a bit more about each of you and what you're up to. And we're talking today through the lens of entrepreneurship for clinicians, really. But I'm going to start from the top. Santosh, tell us a bit about you and, and what you do. I'm a registered doctor in India, and that's where I started. I always knew I wanted to be in healthcare, given having the early exposure to healthcare with my uncles and aunts going in and out of hospitals. Always had a close relationship with wounds. My grandmother had dementia, and she developed a huge wound on her back, or as, a, as we would remember as a kid, everything exaggerated. Came to Australia, started in theatre as a nurse, and also worked across aged care government as a clinician, a registered clinician. And uh, it was fascinating to see the same gaps in wound care over and over again, and that's where the transition from clinician to entrepreneurship began. So I was really trying to explore the problem that why the gaps in the wound care are so basic, but why aren't we using technology when I almost have anxiety if I lose my phone and I use everything and I use my phone for everything. And that's how we got started in entrepreneurship. I know wound care is, is a big deal right now across hospital systems. And I'm keen to learn a bit more about that problem to be solved in a second, but also want to learn about Kevin and Roy. Kevin, tell us about you and what you're up to. 
Yeah, thanks, Pete. So I'm a physiotherapist by trade. I completed my PhD with a really amazing group of people in low back pain and understanding how movement and posture relate to low back pain. And I suppose I, I love being a clinician. I think it's a really rewarding profession and it's really satisfying to help people on their journey. I think that's a commonality across most clinicians. But I often found there was a lot of barriers. So for example, for someone to come and see me, they have to travel to see me. And it's kind of limited to how many people I can help in my four clinical walls. It also means it's quite expensive to seek care. And we know that conditions like pain and endometriosis disproportionately affect people of lower socioeconomic status. So it sort of felt like we were cutting a lot of people that needed care out of the market. And as we found out with the conversation before off air, we, I'm a bit of a tech nerd as well. So I've always been involved in, in digital media and videography and, you know, I ran a podcast for a couple of years. So seeing the benefits of digital and technology to help make care more accessible, more affordable and more, more equitable, really sort of drove me down the path of understanding, well, how can we use this and marry these two together to, um, to, to help more people effectively? So I, I now work for a digital um, startup in mental health called Okia. I also have completed the Perth Biodesign course, which is sort of my first step into, uh, I suppose, entrepreneurship. And, and through that, started building a company or, or identifying a problem to solve and now completing the OzSet program as well. We're absolutely talking about lenses and cameras after this, but let's, let's focus on the, uh, <laughs> and microphones as well. Yeah. So let's, let's park that for a second though, but that's great context to have. And I'm sure others would resonate with that too, having kind of being a clinician, having multiple interests, bringing things together, particularly around technology and healthcare and, and in the end, looking to solve problems. Roy, tell us a bit about you and what you're up to. Yeah. So I'm a GP. I've been in clinical medicine for, I guess, uh, around 10 years now and had always dabbled in things that were non-clinical and tried to hack my way through, I guess, life. And yeah, I, I just, uh, I hit this point where I'd always been passionate about broader impact. And I think I read, there's an article from McKinsey actually talking about doctors and this guy named Alex, who was a cardiologist trainee. He said that when he was encountering clinical or in clinical medicine, it was like he was at the bottom of a waterfall and trying to stop the water from flowing. And he said something really key, which I picked up on, but he said, the only way to do that is to dam it upstream. And, and so that essentially is, is now, I guess, the goal or the mission in life to be able to create a, a broader impact. I knew that decision makers and I guess they followed the money essentially, or they were the decisions that they made were really based around economies and um, business was one of those key areas. And I knew that I knew nothing about that. And the best way to learn it was to do it. So I guess a, a mesh of all those personalities, I kind of, a few months was full-time clinical medicine and then just hit the reset button and weighed up and assessed all the options and applied for a few things. And so now I work for Eucalyptus, which is a, a disruptive healthcare organization and I'm on the OSCEP program and dabbling in a few things through Startmate, which is an accelerator. Yeah. And absolutely loving it. I resonate strongly with everything that you just said, Roy. <laughs> well, I was going to say too, like when I speak to clinicians around and about, it feels, I imagine it feels so isolating being like, I don't quite fit this mold of, you know, I've worked so hard to be a clinician and get to this point 
but something's not sitting with me right. So now I feel a little bit, you know, what do I do now? But there, I, I know there are many clinicians that would be nodding along, listening or watching this going, yeah, that's kind of me. And, and that the waterfall analogy would, would hit them pretty hard. Would, would you agree, Santos? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was just surprised, but not surprised when we started OSEP. We had the information night in Melbourne and Dr. Brendan Carpey, he started saying, and it was and everyone who had a clinician, who was a clinician entrepreneur, when they spoke, they kept going to, we have this clinical ethos where the ethos is about service. However, when you're in the system and you have this curious mind and you know there's other ways to solve problems, that's where they kept asking themselves the question of, you know, crossing that bridge from clinician to entrepreneurship, but at the same time dabbling with the thing, or oh, am I, you know, in it for the money or, you know, how to balance that? So yeah, it's, it's a lot of common themes. It's always interesting to have that validation again. Yeah, I would agree. The Talking Health Tech podcast has evolved a lot over the years, all based on audience feedback. Now I need your help, yes you, to shape the future of this show. Between now and the end of June, we're running our biggest campaign to date in order to understand what makes the global healthcare ecosystem tick. Last time we ran our Talking Health Tech audience survey, we learnt 40% of our audience are clinicians, 77% of our audience tune in for professional development and market awareness. 8% of people listen to Talking Health Tech for competitor profiling, and only 2% of people listen to the podcast to fall asleep. And this time around, I can't wait to find out about your preferences for audio versus video content, which topics we should dive into more, preferences for hosts and formats and geographical reach and so much more. And don't worry, we'll be sharing all the insights once all the responses are collected as well. So if you're a supporter of Talking Health Tech and you can spare five or 10 minutes, please complete our 2024 audience survey. And to say thanks for your input, everyone who completes the survey goes into the draw to win a share of $1,000 worth of credits towards THT Plus membership. Go to talkinghealthtech.com slash survey or the links in the show notes of this episode as well. Hey, I want to come back to the problems that we're solving for a second here and, and Santosh in particular, wound care. Tell me about how big this, this problem actually is and, and, and what you're doing to be able to address it. Sure. Look, wound care is a speciality in its own right. At the moment, um, half a million Australians will suffer with chronic wounds at any given time. We spend $3 billion just on the Medicare patients itself. And the out-of-pocket spend is $20 billion. When you look at 100-something overall healthcare spend, that's a pretty big number to be you know, treating it just by a general practitioners. So that's to give you the stats. And it's going to increase by 4.5%, not just in Australia, but worldwide. And this is you know, because of the longevity, uh, increased diabetics, and increase in obesity. How we are tackling is we are a disruptive technology, but at the same time, we're very mindful that we're a for-purpose company and we're doing it in a sustainable, ethical, and responsible way. So we leverage AI to do the image analysis to help clinicians make those assessments appropriately. Because according to Wounds Australia, yes, there are chronic wounds, but 80% of the assessments that are done with the chronic wounds are not, not appropriate. Dressing choices are anecdotal. And, you know, it's very basic errors. We still prod and put dipsticks and paper rulers to measure the wounds. And, you know, we're in 2023. I mean, come on. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're leveraging AI and machine learning to be able to do the predictive analysis of the images to assist clinicians in providing those assessments appropriately. So cool. And and Kevin, in, in your particular space, how are you finding that 
leveraging technology or a platform or whatever will actually address some of these issues that you're seeing in, in, in the clinical space? Yeah, I think it's similar to what I was sort of talking about before. I think it comes down to access and affordability. People are paying for our time one-on-one and that is beneficial, of course, but it means it's quite expensive care. And if we can provide that one-to-many or in a supportive community environment through kind of cohorts, a bit like what we're doing with, with OZSEP through cohort-based learning, we can make it more affordable and we can kind of bring light on a condition that is traditionally a little bit invisible. So pain is the most common symptom of endometriosis. So I think leveraging that technology to bring people together, to help people make positive behavioral changes in their lifestyle as well. And obviously that's not just applicable to endometriosis, but so setting reminders using algorithms and and kind of machine learning to, to help understand the different behavioral patterns and lifestyle factors that are influencing a certain condition and providing tools and strategies to try and, and help change those. And that might involve kind of that group and, and buddy mentality, or it might revo- involve reminders and reports and, and insights and so on and so forth. You're touching on, a, on an area that many see as a lot of potential too, is patients like me, community, concepts of people experiencing something that they feel personally quite isolating, but they're doing it together. So is there a big community element to, to the work that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so true. I mean, pain's an invisible kind of condition and, and um, we know that people with endometriosis face these long, invalidating, confusing, convoluted journeys being sent from different health practitioners saying that oh, it's just normal period pain or it's in your head or just not even knowing what endometriosis is or that that, that potential might be there. So these, we, we interviewed like close to 100 people uh, with endometriosis as part of the, the Perth Biodesign program and their stories were just so common around it being so isolating and, and there is lots of great community support groups out there. So that's clearly identifying that that is useful for people and, and we heard stories of, of people then sort of saying like they learned more from their community than they did from their health practitioner and that's not an un, uncommon thing, sadly. Well, I, I think it's... You know, it comes to this point too that I think we've mentioned a few times on the on the podcast too. Sometimes with with healthcare, you know, patients will dictate the way that care needs to be delivered, and it's up to the system and clinicians to respond to that as opposed to the other way around. I think that as humans, we'll we'll tend towards wanting to engage with others that are like me or people that I can trust and relate to, and I don't think it's a us versus them it's either one way or the other if there's a way we can bring together communities that are that are similar patients that are experiencing the same thing can leverage off each other and have the the expertise from it from a clinician as well to be able to ultimately drive efficiencies and improve patient care so i think we're we're ticking many boxes there roy you're in a space of you know being in the in the gp world it's a tough gig at the moment being a GP. How are you experiencing the whole kind of trying to do innovation in the in the GP market? Yeah, that's a great question, Pete. Uh, I might the problem place that I was looking at was how do we provide the best quality outcomes in time pressure environments while increasing revenue for care providers, but also providing cost savings to to Medicare or or the payer. And so I I thought of starting within the general practice landscape and, and within chronic disease management. But I soon found that there was, uh, there was a lot of kind of, uh, I guess, politics and regulatory issues and the landscape was changing and it had been changing for so long. So quite a lot of uncertainty within 
uh, general practice itself. So I've actually made the choice to kind of pivot away from that. I think that the, the problem space of best quality outcomes, minimal time, cost savings, or vice versa, the increasing revenue is doesn't have to be localized to general practice. So I'm thinking more globally about that, but I might change tack to start locally within emergency departments. So yeah, interesting that you've kind of said, yeah, like chief is an interesting space and I've actually moved away from it because of all of those reasons. Yeah. Well, this point around the pivot or not being wedded to a particular idea, Kevin, you know, going through the, the OSSET program, there'd be probably a few clinicians that would be doing the same thing. Have you experienced that? Yeah, I think it's really true. I think it's a, a thing that a saying that comes to mind is fall in love with the problem, not the solution. And, and I think that's been drummed into us, not only in this course, but I think just generally in that entrepreneurial space. And yeah, so there's been a few different organizations and groups and people that have, have pivoted quite significantly. So yeah, that's quite, quite common. Yep. I think it's great. It's a great point around understanding the problem to be solved as opposed to the, the particular technology itself. Uh, and, and Santosh, in terms of the, the problem you're solving, have you come across others within the program or just generally in your experience that might be looking to solve the problem in a more broader way or like opportunities to partner and, and focus in your particular area? Has that come through particularly in the program? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's just being around people who get you. And then I say that because running a startup is one thing, B, running it in Australian healthcare space and C, running a healthcare startup. So I think you resonate with all clinicians. Like every time I go into that room where we have pit stops, just looking at people knowing they're just like you, or they get what you're going through. So I think you resonate on that human level, then you resonate on that clinician level. And then obviously the problems that they're solving. I've met with a couple, to, to Kevin's point around community and affordability. So there's the team I've seen there with one of the participants in Melbourne trying to solve that problem. I have no doubt I'll be making some very close friends as well. But yeah, at the pivot to Roy's point, I know someone who's a GP and they're almost taking a retirement from the GP. So yeah, there is a common theme around what clinicians face, the moral questions they ask themselves and uh, yeah, the problems as well. Yeah. One thing I've noticed going through the OSSET program, you know, as a facilitator for, for the pit stops is there is that commonality that clinicians have of, you know, all going through a journey together, but many are at different stages. So some are entrepreneurial, however, they're in a big healthcare system. So I guess they're, they're more entrepreneurial. They're not looking to become a founder of a startup that's like of a tech startup that's going to get VC funding and, and, you know, make them a bajillionaire. Uh, but then there are others that, that have got that in mind and, and there's everything kind of in between. Where are you at right now with your journey and, and, and what do you need from, from the ecosystem if you were to put a call out? You know, I might start with Roy. Yeah, yeah. Great. Like such a good question. Yeah, I think I came into to Ozcare. Like, I didn't know what I didn't know. And there, there was blind spots there. And what I found that it, it did was to be able to take some form of a, a gut feeling and then start to put some language and frameworks around what I had been feeling or thinking or uh, just to become really cognizant of these plans or purposes or desires. But then more than that, take, take it from being language to then kind of papering it and then, and then turning it into action. So it's taking this, you know, thing that everyone, I, I'm, I'm sure maybe Kevin and, and Santos, you can relate, but you've, you, you start with this 
bubbling feeling or it might be a thought and and it's like kind of very up in the air very kind of in the in the pipe dream kind of thing and then it starts to become reality slowly and that's what i've noticed i've forgotten the question now pete but um where i'm at um yeah i would i would say i came in looking to uh, sort out what i want to do personally and and professionally but also very much kind of build a business. And I thought the gold standard was to have a VC-backed venture, but I'm now understanding that it necessarily doesn't have to be that path. Potentially, personally, it might look very, very different. The company might look very different to a VC-backed firm. I mean, like everything's on the cards, don't get me wrong. I think that'd be really exciting if, if I could make that happen, but yeah, it, it it doesn't always need to be in that box. So yeah, just being exposed to all of those things has been fantastic. That kind of aligns with that point earlier about falling in love with the problem, not the solution. And and if you're going in thinking that the measure of success is that you're going to raise $10 million of capital, whether that's a good idea or not, that could be the, the ideal solution, but that's not the goal necessarily. It's about solving the problem and how do you get to that point is probably more important. Kevin, where are you at? Yeah, so um, as I kind of alluded to before, Matilda, the endometriosis platform we're, we're building, kind of was born out of a Perth Biodesign digital health course, which ran for five months. And uh, that was also facilitated by lots of the common facilitators of OzSet. And so as part of that, we had a, a small MVP and had a, about 20 people through the program and got some really good early feedback and, and some indications that we were changing important metrics, things like pain self-efficacy and and improving symptoms. And as a result of that, we've now started to, to build out a bit more of a second MVP, I guess. We received our first customers over the last few weeks, which is, a, I think, a really important milestone. Uh, kind of demonstrates that we're solving a problem that people are, are, are seeing value in. At the end of the day, I think the goal is to try and solve a problem. And if you're doing that well, then I think the, everything else kind of flows in after that anyway. But I'd, I'd still say we're quite early figuring out this whole journey. And, and as Roy alluded to, I think the best way to do it is just to dive straight in. And that's, you know, we learn through experience. We don't learn through textbooks as well. So, yeah, it's been awesome. And, and kind of to your point, Pete, there are lots of people at different stages in the program, which is kind of cool to see. And I think that mentorship is, or even just like, you know, those kind of uh, water cooler conversations that Santosh was talking about, are really helpful to sort of see people that are a few steps ahead of you and chat with them, but also help out people that might be at an earlier stage or, you know, we, there's these common problems that people ha- have, especially clinicians from the tech side of things. And and the program set up really well that we're kind of in these different squads, kind of a small group of five or six clinicians that are at similar stages. So yeah, it's quite accommodating. Santosh, what about you? Where are you at? What do you need? Yes, well, um, Roy, I do resonate with that bubbling feeling and Kevin, you know, fall in love with the problem. I think that's how we started. You know, it was that bubbling feeling that why aren't we doing it? And then knowing is, what we're thinking is, is super crazy. Am I really thinking alien? Like, can you actually do something from the images? And because, you know, I was a clinician and I had no idea. And to Kevin's point, that's what you do. You just dive straight in and you learn by doing. So we also tested a prototype and it is a different journey. Like, you know, it's a journey on its own and being a founder or entrepreneur versus a clinician. So it's a journey of how you pitch, how the business plan comes together, especially if you started with the problem you're trying to solve, the other paraphernalia 
it's a lot of learning around it. So we've used a tested a prototype that was a clickable prototype. And then we formed MVP. And as they say, if you're not embarrassed, you've released too late, but we're very embarrassed. It's a lot of the changes, like what we were thinking. To give you an example, we created a body map, which we thought we could put AI behind it. It'll be very intuitive, but it turns out the normal thing that we've used the hand-drawn for ages is pretty good enough for now as well. So we've released an MVP. That's where we are at. And what we need for 2023, we're very strategic. And there's three key areas that we're focusing on. First is AI and product development. Second is research. And third is capital. And we're not in it to just to make money. That's why I said very clearly, we're a purpose-led company. And I always said, if someone steals my idea, I'm still happy. Because someone in India, I know people are dying with baguettes and people have terrible wounds. And if smart heal can help. I'm cool. I'll just go back to nursing. Um, but what we need, uh, yes, capital to fuel those two things. Research is coming along well. We are just in the process of finalizing the project outlines with RMIT University. And that does bring us industry partners like Frondita McKenzie, but um, you know, it's still being worked out whether we could go ahead and work with the industry partners. In terms of what we need for product development, we need a data scientist. We need wound consultants who are happy to be our eyes and ears in terms of collecting more data for us. We need more and more wound images. Uh, we, yeah, so that's, that's what we need, obviously. Like I said, capital research is coming along well. We are also in the process of uh, lining up another project with Uni of Melbourne, all thanks to OSEP and the doors that OSEP has opened. I'm, like, we're very thankful. I, I could not fault the program, just given that we're a few months in. I think we've come so far and the progress we've made with OSEP wouldn't have been without the OSEP. So capital to recap and data scientists, wounds, images, and clinicians who are interested. Love it. Look, there's a, there's a good network of people who listen to the show and, uh, and watch along. So I'm sure people can get in touch to do that. And, and we'll, we'll kind of reiterate some of that in a moment. So inside the OSEP program, the one thing that I really took from it, and I've actually started to apply, you know, with my own crazy ideas that you get that think, hey, this is a great opportunity for me to explore, whether it's a new product or, or an offering that you have within your business is, you know, we were talking about the, the mum test, which is not something that's specific to the Ozset program, but a great bit of advice to early stage entrepreneurs that are speaking to other people. We talked earlier in this episode about, you know, sharing your idea with others to not feel like you need to closely guard it. Because if you don't share with others about what you're working on or what you want to achieve, no one's going to know and no one's going to be able to help you. At the same time, you kind of need a good way to do that. So you don't get all of these false positives of like, hey, this is a great idea and I would definitely become a customer. I found that particularly valuable, even as, an, as a non-clinical person going through, you know, delivering the pit stops. Did you also find some value out of, of that one? Yeah, right? yeah. Like, like Quizzies. So, I mean, I've, I've been taking the principles that I've been learning through OSCEP and, you know, the doors that it's opened uh, and applying them to life. So mum test, I think is just like so key for communication in, in general. I didn't explain yeah. it for those that aren't familiar with it. Did you want to give a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just, <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, so if the mum test is basically communicating or asking questions in a way that will draw out meaningful information that, that you can actually act on. And the reason why it's called the mum test is if you were going and asking your mum about an app that you were building, she's always going to support you and say, yes, that's great. But um, what she might actually be feeling, let's say if it was an app 
uh, and this is the example that's used in a book, let's say if it was app about, you know, recipes, you know, for French cuisine, she may firstly not be looking at a recipe book, you know, or not have looked at a recipe book for 20 years. She may not be interested in, in French cuisine. And so she's, she said yes to you and, uh, in person and like, you know, patted, patted you on the back, but she would never, ever purchase that. And so it's a principle of, well, what is the customer actually saying and what are they, what are they? And I, I found that really, really helpful. It, it's, it's a matter of drawing truth from people and conversations and, and finding meaning. And it's interesting, I guess that's, it's, it's a human psychology thing as well, right? Like people will tell you what they want to hear. They might save face and apparently it happens everywhere. Like I thought it was my Southeast Asian culture, but, um, <laughs> No, like customers will do this too. And that, yeah, people struggle to say no or, or do it politely. And, and so, yeah, it's it, drawing that out from a potential customer or, or having a meaningful customer interview are uh, so important because ideally, or you're wanting to sell to them, right? Um, you need to know if they'll pay. What about you, Santos? Did you, do you find that there'll be a lot of people who will verbally support, but then when it comes down to the crunch, it's got to be something else? I was just laughing the way it's called mom here. So I was just thinking, my son jumps 10 times in 10 minutes in the same way. And every time I'm like, hooray! <laughs> Why is it called mom test? But it's so right. Yeah, I think uh, I've found the same. And one thing awesome, especially Richard, um, he's been so supportive. I mean, I'm very grateful for many connections, but he keeps saying, Every time I go back to him and I'm like, oh, well, you know, I've got this person and we're going to do this. And he's like, you have to do paid trials because then it's a willingness to pay and goes back to mom test as well. That's exactly it is. That's one way of knowing the truth. Yes, we love it and it's beautiful. But, you know, are you actually going to solve a problem, uh, not just for the user, but also for the payer? So, and I've never heard of mom test actually before or said, but I've heard it in different shapes. So, and I, when I went to the pit stop, one, everyone had read the book and I had not, but there was a resonating positive feedback about it that you were forced to kind of go back and read it. And we're now like, I think we're going to pit stop five. We've done four pit stops, but it's not one pit stop. Someone would say, oh, you know, it, uh, according to mum test or it's not mentioned. So definitely if anyone hasn't read the book or, you know, look it up and read it, I think it's, um, it's really good. Yeah. It's a very short book as well and lots of actionable stuff in there. I think one of the key take-homes for me is that there's a, there's a gap between our behavioral self and our aspirational self. So, you know, what we aspire to do, and I'm sure everyone can relate to this, you know, going to the gym frequently and eating well and calling our grandmothers and so on and so forth. We, we know that those things are good for us and we should do those, but our behaviors might be different. So grounding those questions in truth, in the behaviors, rather than if this was a thing, would you do this um, in those sort of yeah, aspirational differences? Totally. Shout out to my mum as well, who still listens to every single episode. Who'll send me a text message now that Yay. I'm mum. Hi, Pete's mum. Lastly, then, I, I guess this episode has been advice, you know, throughout the, the thing. So maybe we position it more as just some final thoughts and, and, a, and a final call out to the community as well, whether it's people who might be a couple of steps behind or sideways to where you're at right now. And also then for thinking about your own journey as an entrepreneur and, and looking to connect with others in this broad ecosystem of healthcare technology, I'll go to each of you for, for those final thoughts and call yeah, outs. Yeah. Roy, did you want to um, start off? Cheers, Pete. So yeah, I probably, I, I could probably talk to 
doctors, clinicians, maybe somebody that's, that's making a career pivot. And my advice would be to start as early as possible and put, and put yourself out there, um, figure out LinkedIn and, and how to use that. And yeah, and just, uh, upskill on that social media aspect and network. One thing that I, I think it's across business, but in, in product management or product development, uh, and that was looking at those, those three factors of desirability, viability, feasibility. I think professionally, or even, even as a personally thinking about a career transition or a move or, or maybe even any decision, it, those three factors framing the decision with those three factors have been really helpful. How much do I want this desirability? Am I actually passionate about it? Do, do my skills match? Um, are other people valid, like validating that maybe this would be a, a, something that I can do? Is it feasible? If you've got, like myself, a family of young children, can I pick up tomorrow and take a flight over to the United States or Singapore for that job? Like it's, that's not really feasible. No, there are some practical aspects that might be some barriers. Do you need to think about those? What are the opportunities that are in front of you right now? And then viability, like, am I going to be able to jump to that level of income or you, you may need to drop income essentially like if you're going to bootstrap usually it's it's a step backwards before forwards can i can i make that step or can i make that decision now um and if not how can i most quickly get to that point in order to make those jumps so yeah i guess yeah if anybody's thinking about it i'm more than happy to to chat about my journey please reach out friendly face such great advice right Thank you. Kevin, what about yourself? I think it kind of just touching on a, a point Roy made, I think clinicians are busy people. They often have lots of hats that they've, they're wearing and balls in the air. So like making that decision or understanding that that's kind of normal is okay. And trying to carve out time for, your, for yourself to tinker or to have, yeah, learning, learn by experience, I think is useful. Yeah, my, my, even myself, I'm, I'm, we're still at the stage working a few different jobs, juggling university and clinic, clinical space and yeah, committees and various boards and things like that. So I think that's common across clinicians. So finding the time to carve out some form of doing to try and learn in that space. I think we've talked about falling in love with the problem and not getting wedded to the solution. I think also most organisations, certainly the hospitals, um, universities have innovation or commercialisation teams. So, you know, make contact with those, reach out with those. There's, there's heaps of accelerators and even one day boot camps and those sorts of things that, that exist out there in, in a variety of different organizations. I'd also say that health tech is a long game. There's regulatory processes. You've got to build evidence, TGA approval, variety of different things, long sales cycles. So I think the the idea of a startup is, you know, this kind of hockey stick valuation and big growth, quick growth. And that can happen. And absolutely, that's, that can be true. But I think, yeah, stuff always takes twice as long and costs twice as much, maybe three times, maybe more, who knows. And like kind of understanding that helped me understand, okay, you know, we're, we are in this for the, for the long game. And then the final thing, which sort of touches on, on a couple of points was around funding models. So lots of people have great ideas, but if no one's going to if there's no funding model around that, if the, you know you can't create a sustainable business to solve that problem, so so really um, understanding the different levers you can pull or options that are available for you to try and make this innovation financially sustainable, 
I think is is really important and really really critical. And that is a bit of a changing space, but that would be my advice. Excellent, Kevin. Santos, bring us home. Yeah, sure. I think main advice, Roy and Kevin, what an act to follow. But I think I agree with both Roy and Kevin. What I would add to that, in addition to what they've said, is go for it. If you're a clinician thinking, you know, if this is an idea, should I give it a try or not? And it's a little bit counterintuitive to what Roy has said. And I think the reason you should go for it, um, do it in a proper way. I think accelerators are the quickest way because they will force you to think outside the box. But what happens with clinician becoming entrepreneurs is I have learned a lot about the healthcare system and the different moving parts, and it will force you to learn how it all operates. And to Kevin's point, then you know that you're going to have to create a viable business out of it. And it might be, you know, you have to kill it. You know, start with the view that 98% of the startups do fail. But that failure, the learnings that come with that failure, I think what I've learned in last nine and a half months, it's amazing. The things I've learned, you know, the monsters you face within yourselves, your work ethics about your habits and how you have to continue to up your game. Those skills that you'll develop when you take that clinician, you know, you're back to your clinician in case you fail, which is quite likely. And I say that because this is something we have to consider as well. I think those skills are invaluable. And Sam, I'll be very happy to have a conversation with anybody. Again, considering out the TGA, the long game, and there's a lot of money that will go into the research part before the other side of the sales would come. But it's also you have to know why you are doing this, going to the desirability as well, that why you are doing this. And if you have a strong enough why, you know there's a clear problem to solve, then don't sit on it. And the reason I say that when technicians or when the technical people design solutions for clinicians, they're never the same. Whatever you build as a clinician because you've lived and breathed the problem, it does help combining, obviously, the technological knowledge of the technical experts. That's definitely um, great. So, yeah, go for it. And the other thing I would say, don't let that clinician aspect of the ethos, well, I'm serving the patients here. Am I going to stop serving? In fact, what it does, you know, the capital behind it, the platform you get with the startup, you can actually get to serve a lot more people and your effect and impact. You have the opportunity to actually magnify it to a much larger scale. Absolutely. How good is that? And and it's been so fulfilling to hear perspectives from each of you in this episode. We'll make sure on the article on our website, your details are there for those that want to reach out as you've offered. And if sometimes I find, you know, even for myself going out and doing something, you feel like you need permission from someone. You never need permission, but if you need permission, this is your permission. Go out and do that thing. And we're all open to having a chat and learning more about it. So appreciate your time, Santosh, Kevin, and Roy for having a chat today. Good luck with your ventures and look forward to chatting again soon. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Thanks, Pete. Hey, thanks for sticking around to the end of this episode. If you made it this far, you're the perfect person that I want to hear from. Our THT Plus audience survey is now open until the end of June, and I personally read every submission. In fact, if you leave a comment in the survey that you heard this promotion in a podcast episode, I promise I'll reply directly to you by email with a personal note of thanks, and I'll even buy you a coffee next time I see you in person. It's pretty easy. Just go to talkinghealthtech.com survey and have your say. For more content and community about technology and healthcare, visit talkinghealthtech.com.